on the night of October 1, 2017, 64-year-old Stephen Paddock opened fire from his room on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas. He was able to fire over 1,100 rounds in just 10 minutes' time from 10.05 p.m. to 10.15 p.m. His target was the crowd of 22,000 people in the open field below his room. These people were attending the final night of the three-day Route 91 Harvest Music Festival. Country singer Jason Aldean was performing when the shooting began. In the end, 851 people were injured, and 58 people died. This incident is the deadliest mass shooting committed by an individual in the history of the country. The shooter also shot and killed himself, so the motive for the killing will probably never be known. But this story isn't about the cowardly killer. It's about a young lady named Cammie. Cammie lives in California, about four hours away from Las Vegas, and she was at the Harvest Festival with her parents and her husband, Eli. She was there when the shooting began. She saw the terror on people's faces as they ran for safety, and she saw the unfortunate ones that didn't make it. And here's another critical fact that will be an important part of Cammie's story. She was at the festival for all three days. Day three is when the shooting took place. On day one, she learned that she was pregnant. This episode is the first one in a new series called Flashback Episodes. Cammie first came on the podcast and told this story five years ago. And I get requests from listeners sometimes to follow up with the past guests and see how they're doing now. So today, you'll hear Cammie's story about escaping from the Las Vegas shooting, and after that, a brief conversation I had with her just recently about what's new in her life and her family. My goal is to always bring you the content and stories you tell me you want to hear, and the flashback episodes are part of that. We'll probably do one of these each month, in between the regular new episodes. So please, let me know what you think. Real people in unreal situations. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby. I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it. She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down. Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire. I swear to God, this is this image is burning my head for the rest of my life. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode 
without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. When you were escaping from that concert area, what were you actually, what was going through your mind? I mean, were you thinking perhaps you could just be shot at any moment? When we were escaping, it wasn't until afterwards that I realized that they were gunshots. I actually, my mom and I had gotten separated and, um, well, my mom got separated from my husband, myself and my dad. And so we were just worried about getting to her. And then my dad's goal was just to, to get us out. And I didn't realize until we had met up with my mom that those were gunshots that were happening. That's, that's just incredible. All right. Well, to, to really put the things in perspective and the story that, that we're about to hear from you, we need a little bit of background. And part of the, one of the critical factors of the story is your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were pregnant at the time, but this was not your first pregnancy. Can you just give us some background, talk about what had happened previously to this? Sure. So um, I met my husband when I was in high school and we dated for four years before we got engaged. And then um, shortly after we got married, we decided we wanted to, like, we knew we wanted to start our family. And, um, so right after I got my bachelor's degree from Cal state, we started trying um, to get pregnant and that was in June of 2016. And then it was September 11th of 2016. I realized, um, I was at a baseball game that I was pregnant. And so we took a test the next day and confirmed it. And, um, just a couple days later on September 16th, um, I ended up in the emergency room. We found out that, um, it was an ectopic pregnancy. So what the doctors had explained to me was that, a woman's fallopian tube normally is the width of a um, a piece of uncooked spaghetti. Just one piece of uncooked spaghetti is the width of a normal fallopian tube. And the baby, our first baby at that time was the size of a chocolate chip. So obviously because it implanted in that tube, the tube exploded. And so I was bleeding internally. So I ended up having emergency surgery and they had to remove my um, fallopian tube on one side. And then obviously in that, I lost the pregnancy at that time. That's a really a really good analogy with the uh, 
the spaghetti yeah. and the chocolate chip. But that's, <laughs> that's how they kind of explained it to me because I didn't understand how it, like, how it was a problem. Because, of course, I was just right. trying to hold on to the pregnancy. Of course. Yeah. And so you found out that you were again pregnant on what, September 29 yes. of last year, right? Mm-hmm. How did that, and that was, that was the September 29 was the first day of the music festival. It was, we were leaving that morning for Vegas. How, how did that all, how did that all work out? Basically what happened was um, my husband and I had set up an appointment to do infertility treatments because it had been a year since we had gotten pregnant. So the day before we left for route 91, I called and canceled the appointments because um, we just couldn't afford it at the time. And then it was that next morning after we had gotten up and gotten ready to go to Vegas, I realized I'm pregnant. And so it was, un- I mean, it wasn't unplanned, but we weren't, um, we were trying to get pregnant, but we weren't like, we didn't know anything about it until we were leaving for route 91. And when we were on our way, we were in the car when I finally told my parents, like, by the way, you know, we're pregnant. I, I knew I was, we didn't have a pregnancy test to confirm it yet, but I knew I was. So that was kind of a, a surprise then Yeah. at that time. Yeah. Okay. Were you a little bit nervous about how this one might turn out oh, because of the previous one? Completely. We, I was so worried about everything I was doing when we were in Vegas, even prior to the day of the shooting, I was, you know, I didn't want to be, you know, in a casino for too long because there's smoke and I didn't want to be around the smoking that, that happened at Route 91. Like people were smoking cigars and cigarettes and stuff. And so I just tried to be as far away from it as possible because although I couldn't have prevented what happened with my first pregnancy, um, I didn't want to take the chance that I was going to lose this pregnancy because I did something that I could have not done and prevented the loss. Right. Yeah. The things that are in your control, obviously. So that was at the front of your mind all the time. Yes. Especially just now or at that time, finding out, oh, wow, I'm pregnant. Um, I got to be really careful. Yeah, definitely. So now you live in California and this festival, the music festival was in Las Vegas. Uh, how far, how long of a drive is that? It's about three and a half to four hours, just depending on if there's um, traffic or who's driving. <laughs> and and how far in advance had you planned to attend this? So we had been going to country night at San Manuel Casino, which is a casino out here in San Bernardino for months. Um, and they were, K-Frog was giving away tickets to Route 91. So it was about a month or so I would say before route 91 was scheduled to happen, um, that my dad had won tickets, but he and my mom had already purchased their own tickets. So because we had been going and been trying to win and hadn't won, my dad said, Oh, you and you and Eli can have the tickets. And so it was about a month before route 91 happened that we realized that we were going. So, so your parents had already gotten tickets. They were planning to go yes. and you guys were still trying to win tickets on the, on the local radio station. Yes. But and they actually did win the tickets, and so all four of you, you all went over in the same uh, vehicle. Yeah, my dad drove, and we all just went out there with him. All right. So the concert itself was a uh, it was a three day event, September twenty nine to October one, and so it was like a it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm not sure how familiar everyone is with this festival, but the actual name of the festival is the Route ninety one Harvest Festival. And it's on Las Vegas Boulevard. Yes. Right? But it's called that because Las Vegas Boulevard used to be called Route 91. Correct. 
so you got there, you went there on fr- on Friday, right? Yes, we were there all three nights of the festival. So all all three nights. Is how does this work? Was there music during the day or was it only at night or how how often were people performing? I think the earliest I remember anyone starting was about two or three in the afternoon. And it was just like the the smaller names or the people that are kind of trying to get their names out there. And then as the night progressed, as it got later and later, that's when the bigger names started coming out. So they always ended the night, usually around nine or 10, they ended the night with whoever their headliner was for that night. And so we would get there, I think all three nights, we got there about five or six. We didn't really, like, we weren't super interested in seeing the um, smaller stages or the smaller names on the big stage. They had two different stages. They had the big main stage, and then they had a smaller stage that was um, in a more covered area. Um, was was there music going on at both stages at the same time? Yes. So that's how big this place was. You can have music on both those stages and they wouldn't interfere with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had it. Uh-huh. Um, the smaller stage, I think, stopped. Their last performer stopped around eight or so. Um, and I think that was so that it didn't interfere with the big stage because everyone wanted to be at the big stage. It was, and I mean, I would assume it was probably kind of pointless to have somebody at the smaller stage because everyone was interested in seeing the big performers like Jason Aldean. And, right. Yeah. The big, the big names. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Sunday night. You got there sometime in the afternoon, hanging out, listening to music. Was it just an open field with general seating or could you bring chairs in if you wanted to, or how, how was that set up? It was pretty general. They had an area. Um, I think they called it corral seating or something similar to that. Like what they have at um, California stagecoach festival and you could, there was a stage, the big stage, and then it was general standing area for a good, you know, couple hundred yards behind the stage or in front of the stage, I guess. And then on the sides of the stage where everybody was standing in way far back, right before you started hitting all the vendors and the food, um, there was a place where you could set up your own chairs or where you could purchase, like, I don't know, preferred seating. Um, and you had to have a special ticket for that or you, you know, I don't know if it was a purchase by day type thing. I knew you could have general admission tickets and then the bit more expensive ones where you actually got a seat. So they would give you like a wristband or something to, to show that or. Yeah. The general admission ones for these ones, they're purple. I'm actually, I still have mine. So I, I keep it and I wear it. So it just says GA three day. And that was the general one for anybody that was, that was just the standing room only. So as long as you had that, you could just come and go whenever you wanted. Pretty much, yeah. All right. So Sunday night, where were you in relation to the main stage? So Sunday night, we started off, I don't know, probably 200 yards back from like when we first got there. And as people would leave after certain performers would finish, we were we would move up. So someone would leave, we'd move up. Someone would leave, we'd move up. And by the time Jason Aldean started... We were probably 40 or 50 yards from the stage. Like we were really close. Pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there were like 22,000 people in attendance that night from what I've read. Mm-hmm. How crowded did you feel? I mean, were you like shoulder to shoulder with people or did you have a little bit of space or what was that like? The closer we got to the stage, it was more shoulder mm-hmm. to shoulder. So you had room in the back, like if you wanted to dance or if you wanted to, you know, just kind of like pile around and push, you know, you could, you had the room to do it. But as we got closer and closer to the stage, as the night went on, it was very shoulder to shoulder. And there were people right on top of you, like, cause everyone's trying to get close to the stage, but it was very, very um, like intimate spacing. Okay. So somebody that's claustrophobic might've not been too comfortable. 
Yeah. Or someone that doesn't like to be touched. Like my husband, he had a hard time. He's like, there's all these people and they keep touching me. I'm like, that's eh, just the, that's the way the concert that's goes. Of, that's part of the game. Yeah. So it was you and your husband, Eli, and your parents. Did you all stay together that, you know, when you were there? We did. Yeah. We all stayed in the same place. All right. Now, at some point you decided to not get closer to the stage, but actually get away from the stage. What, what, what was your thinking behind that? So as we got closer and closer to the stage, because of my fear of losing the pregnancy that I had at, at Route 91, like I had lost my last pregnancy, my mom said she could see it on my face. I just wasn't comfortable. I was worried. We were close to a lot of people that were smoking. And as you got closer to the stage, those were the people that were drinking pretty heavily. And so there was a lot of pushing and shoving and um, cat fights and uh, just stuff I didn't want to be around. Um, and so my mom looked at me and she said, do you want to leave? And I said, I just don't want to be this close. And so she said, okay, that's fine. And she had brought some snacks and some dessert cookies that we were going to eat. So she said, let's move. We'll go back to the back and we'll get some ice cream at one of the vendors. And we'll just enjoy the rest of the concert from, uh, there was this, it, it wasn't grass, but it was like AstroTurf grass. So it was fake grass where um, if you sat, you could see the big screens that they had put up. It, it was super far from the stage, but you could still see the screens and see what was going on from the concert. And so just because I was so uncomfortable and worried about the pregnancy, we decided to move. So that was, I mean, this is a mother and a daughter. Obviously she could, like you said, she could look at your face and figure out what you were thinking. And mm -hmm. that was very nice of them. I mean, they, obviously it's in general in a concert, you want to be as close to the performer as possible, but she put your comfort ahead of that. And so all four of you kind of went to the back of the crowd mostly. We did. We, it wasn't even, we weren't even near where the crowd had started for Jason Aldean. They, I, it was super, super condensed. And as you got further back, there was less and less people. And we were actually where the AstroTurf was, where we were sitting was in between the vendors. So there was vendors down each side and this AstroTurf, like fake grass was in the middle. So you could see vendors on each side, but it wasn't, um, it was really far from the stage. Like most everybody was at the stage because they want, they were watching Jason Aldean. Uh, but we were back in the back where everyone was sitting to eat. All right. The shooting started at 10 5 PM. And I know some people initially thought it was just, thought it was fireworks because mm -hmm. most, most people have not heard the sound of an automatic weapon firing continuously. And if you listen to some of the videos, uh, you know, just to hear that sound, it does sound kind of like fireworks, you know, yeah. and at a concert like this, you'd kind of expect people to have fireworks and just, you know, setting off firecrackers and stuff like that. How long did it take for you to realize that it wasn't fireworks? So the shooting had started and my mom had gone to where the entrance was to get these, these cookies that we were going to have with this ice cream. And so it was my dad, my husband and I sitting in this area and I had just sat down my feet were hurting from my boots and I remember not wanting to get up and it started. And I remember looking around to try and look past my dad to see the fireworks, what I thought were fireworks. Cause I figured, you know, it's Jason Aldean. He's going to have some fireworks. It's the last night of the festival. He's going to go out. And, um, uh, my dad looked at me and he said, you need to get up. And, and I didn't understand why. And I heard the shots, but I at still at that point didn't know that there were shots. And so I get up and my husband grabs my hand and my dad's already a couple yards in front of us running towards my mom or where my mom was. So your dad knew what it was right off the bat? 
Yes. My dad, um, he's, uh, what do they call him? Emergency personnel. Um, he's been a firefighter for, I don't know about, I think 15 years. I'm not hundred percent sure how long he's been a firefighter, but he's been a paramedic, um, since I was born. So for 25 years, he's dealt with situations like that. So he knew exactly what it was right off the bat, but I had no idea. So he knew immediately. And so he took off heading for your mom because she was all, she was kind of separated from the rest of you at that time. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages That little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida. So I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code WHAT or going to cookunity.com slash WHAT. I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger Show. 
That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. As he got up and he started running, basically from where I was looking at the stage, he started running to my right to go towards these lockers to my mom. And as I got up, my husband's trying to help me up. And and I look and everyone's running at us. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, why is everybody running? What's happening? Like, you know, I, I didn't get it. And everybody's just got this like look of total fear on their face. Like, no amount of Hollywood actors would be able to recreate the absolute terror that people had on their faces. It was disturbing to see people so worried. And I still didn't, I was like, I don't get why people are, you know, running and what's the problem and what happened. And so as we get up to start running, I accidentally ran into this girl. We were running. We basically kind of like if we were in cars, we would have T-boned each other the directions we were running. And so I helped her up and she, and she kept running her direction and my husband came back and got me and um, we ended up meeting up with my mom at the lockers and we were there for, it felt like forever. I'm sure it was only like two or three minutes, but it felt like we were there for 15 minutes waiting for the, the bullets to stop before my dad wanted us to start running for the exit. Did you call 911? I didn't know. Okay. Well, as it, I mean, as it turns out, oh, I think over 500 people did call 911. Hello, this is Metro Police. Um, there's been a shooting at the Route 91 um, Festival. Where exactly are you located? Um, I'm located right out front of the main stage and my friend has been shot, I think. We can't really move her. There's, there's Where exactly are you located? Where exactly are I'm you located? located? It's at the, uh, oh my God, they're still shooting. Do you see the shooter? No, I think he's on the, um, on the street side. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh where, my God. Ex- where exactly are you? I'm at the village. Uh, the, it's right across the street from the love store. Um, what do you see in front of you? Um, I'm looking at the love store. I'm in front of the main stage. Um, I don't know how else to describe it. There's a big uh, sound tower. You see a sound tower in front of you? 
uh, it's right. Be- I'm in between the down tower and the main stage, and they're still shooting. They're still shooting. And your friend has been oh shot. My oh my god! I just- Stay on the phone with me. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, your friend has been shot. Yes, I believe so. So you're near the main stage. Yes, yes, and everybody is running. Are you able to see the shooter at all? No, no. There's. A, I. I don't know. That Where is your friend? Where is your friend that was injured? She's right next to me. How extensive are her injuries? I can't see. She can't move. Oh my God! They're still shooting. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. Do you see them or you just hear the shot? No, no. I we just hear. It's like machine guns. It's on the other side of this uh the venue. They're like shooting from Las Vegas Boulevard. What is your name? Yeah, my name is Jennifer. Jennifer, what's your last name? I can hear it. What is your last name? Phone number. Your friend, is she able to speak? Uh, no. Okay, no. what do you see right near you? Where exactly are you located? I'm, I'm, we're on, face down on the lawn right now. You're face down on the lawn near the maid stage? Yes, but everybody is running, and I, as soon as we can get her up, I don't know if we can get her up. She's not able to move? Oh, my God. No. Is she, no. Is she conscious? Yes, she's conscious. What is her name? Carrie. C-A-R-R-I-E. What's her last name? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why have they not caught him yet? We've got help on the way, ma'am, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes! Yeah. We've got help on the way, ma'am, okay? Okay. Okay. She's like passing out. Um, she's she's passed out. Where is where is she bleeding, ma'am? Uh I saw her on her like the right side of her breast. Okay, we have help on the way, okay? We're gonna get there soon. Okay. Can. Okay? Okay, thanks. All right, you're welcome. Okay, bye. Nine one one emergency Yeager eight six one three. Do you need police fire medical? Nine emergency, hi, do you need police fire medical, ma'am? Um I think we need the police. What's well, the harvest festival and I think there's shots being a lot of shots being fired. Does everybody know that? Is it near Mandalay Bay? What? Are you at the yes, Mandalay Bay? Mandalay Bay. We are we're actually hiding um in near the port in the porta potty area. Okay, so ma'am, far. are you at the harvest festival? Yes. Okay. Ma'am, ma'am, did you see the shooter? No. Okay, ma'am, 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 what's your name? Tracy. How do you say your last name, Tracy? What? How do you say your last name? We already have the call. It's What's your phone number, ma'am? Okay, are you across the street from Mandalay Bay? We're across from Mandalay Bay. We're in the parking area, but we're hiding in... Okay, you're in the parking area? No. No, we're hiding in the um in the porta potty area. But we keep hearing the shots getting closer. And there's people down out there, I think. Okay. 
there's tons of people. Oh my God. Ma'am, are you saying that the shots sound closer? I feel like they're coming closer to us. Where is the where's the where's the porta potty? We're on the um, on the side where on the strip side across from Luxor. There's a bunch of porta potties there. People are still running, but we hid back here. Okay. They sound closer, correct, ma'am? Yes. Did you see the shooter? No, no, I don't see. Oh, can you hear that? Can you hear it? Yes, ma'am. Like someone has a machine gun or something. I don't know. Sounds like, do. a, sounds like a sh Are you safe? Are you somewhere safe? I, I don't know. We're, we feel like we're safe, but we don't know okay. if it's going to come around. Through the corner, we have the police. Just so stay with me, okay, ma'am? Ma'am, we're okay. on our way. Just stay with me. You're doing a okay. good job, okay? Okay. So, ma'am. Oh, my God. Ma'am. My daughter. Okay, ma'am, ma'am, did, you didn't see the shooter, though, right? No, I don't want to look. Okay, no, no, I don't want you to look. To stay where you're safe, the most important. Okay. Are you able okay. to safely move or you feel safe there? We're, we're, we're with a group of people and we How many are you with? Here. We're with, um, there's probably about 15 of us. They're out, apparently, they're on this, these people are on the, um, shooters are on the strip. The shooters tell you on the strip on Las Vegas they, Boulevard. That's what people are saying that they think they're on the strip. Where? Where on the strip? How many are there? Did anyone see a shooter? They're on top of the Mandalay. Did anyone see the shooter? Um, they said they're on the top of the Mandalay. Who is? The shooters are on top of the Mandalay. Where? Um, I don't know. Somebody just came by and told us to get. It. That he opened the gate so we could get out. Okay, so so are you able to leave? For, I mean, I want you to make sure you're safe. Do you know where on top of the way? Know where? No. Is, is that guy there that I can talk to? Five at a time. Five at a time. They told us not to all go at once. They said every five people every thirty seconds. Okay, who's talking to? Is the police with you? Yes. yes. I'm sorry. What? Is the police with you? Um, I, I'm, I didn't hear you. What? Who's telling you, ma'am? Who's telling you? Um, somebody came by, one of the security guards came by and said, they opened a gate and they're letting... Okay, security is, security is helping you? What? Ma'am, is security helping you? I have somebody yelling behind me. I okay, is security helping you, ma'am? Um, not now. They're just opening... They're opening the gates for us a little okay. bit of time and letting a few people out. Ma'am, I'll let you go, but I need to know, do you know where the shooter is on top? No, I can't see. I can't see. Where's the person that said they saw the shooter? Where's the person at? Oh, he's gone. He just came by and told us how to get out of here. Okay. And get but we can't get out. Now. Okay. Just try, okay. just stay where you're safe, okay? <clears throat> okay. She said to stay where we are. Stay where, where you feel safest, okay? okay? All right. Stay where you are. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I'll let you go. Okay. Okay. I'll let you go. All right. We're on the area, ma'am. 911 emergency, Brown 15968, do you need police, fire, or medical? Oh, we need police. There's gunshots at the at the um, harvest. Where, where? I'm sorry. You there's shots where? At the at the Route 90 Route 91 concert. Where's that? It's oh, it's at the strip. Where at the strip? Um, right across the street from Mandalay Bay. Reno and Mandalay Bay. 
Okay, just a moment, ma'am. And how many, do you see who's shooting? <laughs> no, I'm fine. Do you know who's shooting, ma'am? No, we don't know. We just heard two gunshots. Okay. And how many people? Oh, eight, uh, thousands of people. Okay. Not a problem. We're okay. Well, stay on the line, please. Okay. If you can stay on the line, please stay on the line, please. Okay. Okay. Now, can you please tell me? Can you please tell me uh, what what you're seeing? <laughs> um, I'm on the second. I'm on top of the House of Blues. Okay. Uh, we're, just staying, we're trying to stay down. Okay. Did, where did the Where did the shooting start? Um, it sounds like it's from the west. West, I'm facing the south. What is, what? So it sounds like it's coming from where? Hello? You said it sounds like it's coming from the west? Ma'am. Ma'am. Oh, it's mine. It's mine. Hello, ma'am. What are you seeing? I'm not seeing any. Everyone's just running. And wh which way are you running to? I'm running north. Okay. And you said you're on the House of Blues, but now you've left the House of Blues. Yes, do you see I'm, anyone no. injured? I'm, no, not anyone. And do you? Are you still hearing the gunshot? <laughs> yes. Are you still hearing them right now? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Ma'am. Yes. What's your name? My name is Esmeralda. Esmeralda. Where are you right now, Esmeralda? I'm on the House of Blues. I understand. And are you guys all, you guys on the roof, right? Yes, we're on the roof. Okay. Stay? Okay. And are you up there with everyone? Does everyone seem safe or are they yes. still running? Um, we're just, we're just, um, that's it. Okay, ma'am. Where we're at. Where we're at, there's no way to get down. Okay, ma'am. We have officers in route, okay? Okay, thank All you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. So you took cover in these behind these lockers. Was this like a, a wall of lockers like you see at a theme park where people could put their stuff while they're at the concert and come back and get it later? Or? Yes, it was very similar. It was kind of like an S. So, um, I, well, I guess like a U with a line of lockers in between that faced outwards. So um, we had just rented, we didn't know that they had them. And that morning we said, oh, we'll rent one of these lockers. And um, you could bring in food. Like everybody could bring in a gallon sized Ziploc bag worth of whatever. And there was four of us. So we brought in four and we had sandwiches and snacks and cookies. And so that's where my mom had stored everything. And she was the one with the little combination key to get in. So that's why she had gone to the lockers to get all this stuff. Got it. So you took cover under the lockers for a while or behind the lockers. Could you tell which direction the shooting was coming from? So where we were, I could. Where we were in the lockers, um, it it sounded like it was coming from the stage. Like it didn't sound, I, I mean, it was close to us, but it didn't sound like it was coming from across the street. Um, and I think that was the Luxor that was right there. Or from um, across the street at the exit where the... Um, Tropicana was, I could tell it was coming from behind us over by the main stage and by Mandalay Bay. I mean, it was, it was loud enough that it was obvious, but it wasn't 
like so deafening that you couldn't tell where it was coming from. And so you, once you left the, the locker area, how far away were you from the car or was it a car or a truck? It was a truck. It was a pickup. Truck. Okay. Okay. So you guys wanted to get to the pickup truck to get out of there. How far away was that? How far did you have to walk? Um, I'm terrible as far as measurements go. So I wouldn't be able to tell you hundred percent. I mean, I would guess like another 200 yards. So we were at the edge of the, the street where the venue was. And basically we crossed the street and ran about halfway into Tropicana's parking lot. And we had clo- um, parked pretty close that day. So we were closer to the venue than we were um, every other night, luckily. Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon. There was um, some people that were just lying down. It was hard to know if they were if they were dead or if they were just injured. And my dad had told me that he, like he told us later, he wanted to stop, but he because that's his instinct as a first responder is to course, to stop yeah. and help people. But he was also worried because my mom and I just aren't used to that kind of stuff, and so he was worried about getting us out so that we could. He needed to take care of us first. Um, and every time we got to somebody, thankfully there was already some kind of first responder or like a nurse or another person like my dad that was able to help whoever was injured. I remember we, on the edge of the Tropicana parking lot, there was a, like a tour bus. I don't remember whose it was. And there was a guy behind there that had been shot through the knee and he was sitting there. And so we stayed with him for like a minute before, um, some first responders were able to get to him. Um, and then from there, we just, we kept going until we hit the car or the truck. It seems like it would be a little scary thinking, okay, I'm running toward safety, but you're running past people that had already been shot. Did it seem like maybe you were running like into more danger? I didn't feel like I was running into more danger, but it felt like we were running without, I mean, we were truly just trying to get to the truck and it. Like there was no sense of safety. Like we didn't, cause we didn't know a hundred percent where the shooting was coming from, how many shooters there were, what kind of um, angle they had. So it was, it was running without any kind of um, assurances that we were running anywhere safe other than our truck. Mm-hmm. So at that point you all four were back together, right? Correct. As you yes. were heading toward the truck. Based on where you were parked, when you got to the truck and got in, did you feel safe in there? It felt safer than being on the grounds at Route 91, but it the the chaos that was happening around us, like, I don't know if people just didn't understand that, the sh- that there was a shooting that was happening, but we were trying to get out onto the street from the Tropicana parking lot, but nobody would move. Like, they it was just trafficking. And I don't know if it was because they didn't realize that there was all this happening around them. So until we got like the further we got away from the venue, the more safe it felt. But even being in the truck, it was, like I said, we didn't know where the shooting was coming from, you know, 
it could have been from anywhere. So we still, you know, the car isn't bulletproof. So it was still just as, as uneasy. Mm-hmm, definitely. It, before you got in the truck, as you were, as you were headed that direction, did you hear other people talking, other conversations? What were people saying as they were fleeing? People were just saying, what the hell happened? And, you know, I can't believe that this is happening. And is everybody okay? And where is so-and-so? There was so much unsurety. Uh, I mean, among everybody and um, just wanting to, to get out. Like some people are saying like, I'm leaving Vegas tonight. Fuck this place. Like they were super upset, obviously. Um, and people were just ready to leave. Well, especially as you're, as you're running away and you see people uh, that you're going past that have been shot. I mean, that's like, that's literally like a war zone and no, I mean, people aren't used to seeing anything like that. Oh yeah. There's so much that you hope that nobody ever sees in their life. And then you see, see that kind of stuff, just going to a concert. I'm sure nobody expected that. So you must've been, I mean, obviously you were scared for the baby as much as you were scared for yourself. I'm sure. Yeah. My number one goal was just to do what I could not to get myself out for myself, but for the baby. That's a mother's instinct right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you, as you got, got in the truck and, and left, I mean, the city must've just been total chaos then. It was by that point they had already. um, So we were driving. um, We took one of the side streets that runs parallel with Las Vegas Boulevard. I forget the name of the street. And it was running, like I said, parallel. And we were heading um, towards condo where we were staying, which was really close to the Rio. And as we turned left to the street that takes us to the Rio and our condo, you could already see that the freeway was completely stopped. They had no, like nobody was allowed on it. They had cones and flashers and, they had shut down the um, the freeway right there so that nobody could leave. And of course, by that time, the shooting had probably stopped because the, the actual shooting only took, took about 10 minutes. Of course, he got off like over a thousand rounds in that time, but the shooting had stopped, but they still didn't have, they didn't know where he was. Maybe, I, maybe they did by that time. I'm not sure the timeline. And that's part of the question of the whole scenario was the actual timeline of, of what happened, you know? So did you just drive back home that night or what did, what did you do that night? You said you went back to your condo. We did. So when we were leaving the Tropicana, we actually had three couples that jumped into the bed of the truck because they were trying to get away from everything. And we had gotten to a stoplight and one of the couples had gotten out to try and go call some family that they had that were local. And the other two couples asked if they could come back to the condo with us because they were staying on the strip. Um, one one couple was staying at the Lexor and the other couple, I think, was staying at Mandalay Bay. And so they obviously couldn't get back to their hotel. So we all just, we went to the condo and turned on the news and and stayed up and just kind of watched it until um, until the couples were ready to go back. Wow. So these are obviously people that you didn't even know. But in the midst of a disaster like that, Everybody just helps everybody. Pretty much. Yeah. We had no idea who they were. I know one of the couples was from Canada. So they had traveled all the way from Canada to go to this festival. They were both police officers. And then another couple was um, a couple that was also from California. They worked at Disneyland. And you, and you, you're all country music fans. So that was the bond that held you together. Sort of. Pretty much. All right. So as you got back to the condo, that night and with these other people and you're all watching the news, obviously it was live coverage probably all night. I would think it would have gone or well into the night anyway. 
I can't imagine what a sense of relief you had knowing that you escaped that and so many people didn't. Yeah. When we were watching the news, they, they seemed so unsure about what was happening. And I mean, first responders not knowing what was happening and to know that we were far enough from it that we were safe was probably one of the biggest reliefs that we could get was that we were going to at least make it out of Vegas when there's, there's, you know, 58 people that didn't and so many more that were actually injured. Right. I heard, wasn't it like 500 people that were injured? That's what I read. Unbelievable. All right. Well, this story has a happy ending, obviously, not just because you escaped that night, but tell us what's happened since then. So we came home and we went and saw the doctor and they told us everything was fine. And then nine months later, I gave birth to our daughter on my 25th birthday. Um, Oh, wow. She has the same birthday as you. She does. And that was actually her due date, too. Wow. So when we came back from Route 91, they said, oh, your due date's June 14th. And my husband said, oh, that's amazing. And and the nurse was like, why? And I said, oh, that's my birthday. She goes, well, you know, not not every baby's born on their due date. I said, no, I know. It's not going to be likely that she'll be born on hers. And lo and behold, she was. That's incredible. So June 14, you had little baby Rosalie. I did, yes. And you are now a happy, happy mother. I am. It kind of feels like everything came full circle. We're finally able to kind of close the door on on what happened there because our biggest worry was getting home and getting the baby that was inside of me home. And now she's the baby that's outside of me. So we can kind of share the protection now that it's not just me that's physically responsible for her. Right. And uh, it's it's really, like I said, it's just come full circle knowing that. Um, we brought her home and that, well, we brought her home from Vegas and now we brought her home home. And you actually credit Rosalie with saving your life. I do. Yeah. We, we definitely would have, you know, hung in there and just kind of dealt with the smoke and the weed and the drinking and the rowdiness if I didn't have this little life inside me. But because Rosalie was, you know, inside of me and I, I was trying to protect her in any way that I could to prevent another loss. Um, that's why we moved. Had I not had Rosalie inside me, or at least known that she was inside me, we would have stayed and just partied. Right. Yeah. And that noise that we hear is Rosalie. Right? Yes. I apologize. <laughs> that's no, it's no problem at all. Do you ever think about the fact that you're a survivor of the deadliest mass shooting in American history? Sometimes I think about it, but it's, I don't know. It's like people ask me about route 91 all the time because they see me as a survivor and, and I know that I am and it's not that I don't accept that I am, but I, I guess I just like, I don't see myself first and foremost as a survivor. Like, you know, there's so many identities that I have as, you know, a wife and a mom and a daughter. And so survivor isn't one that I'm accustomed to, I guess it's going to take some getting used to. Does this experience or going through that, everything you've been through, give you any kind of different outlook or perspective on life? It does. Uh, I mean, I think everybody has this idea that life is precious and that, you know, that everything happens in their right time. But Rosalie is living proof to me that God had a plan for my life. And if I had gone to Route 91 and not been pregnant, if I had kept my first pregnancy and had that baby, I would have gone to route 91, not pregnant. And there's no, 
there's no telling what could have happened to myself, my husband, my parents. But even though I didn't know at that time that, you know, that this loss was going to be better for me in the future. I mean, as soon as Rosalie came to be, I knew that was why she, she was given to us at the time she was to save us. And I can't, there's no better testimony that God has this plan for everybody's life. And I truly see that and I believe it now more so than I ever did. Sometimes things can happen and our lives take a different direction. We don't even realize it at the time, right? Yeah. But when you look back on it with, with the advantage of, of uh, seeing the history and what happened, um, it's, it's pretty amazing how that happens sometimes. Yeah. We, we spent so many months being angry that we lost that pregnancy, not understanding that there was so much more to be gained than what we lost. Kimmy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. It's been five years. It's been five years. Yeah, we're coming up on that anniversary here in a couple of weeks of the shooting event. So it's been it's been a while. Now, when we last spoke, you had had a baby. Tell us, how is baby Rosalie doing now? What's she up to? Oh, she's always doing something new. Um, she just started kindergarten this year. So she's actually, she just turned five in the summer. So she's in kindergarten. She goes to school full time. She is in soccer. So she's, she keeps us very busy. Yeah. Typical five-year-old sounds like. Yep. Pretty much. And she's, she's not your only child now, right? She's not. So in the last um, five years since you and I spoke, she has become a big sister twice. Um, I have another daughter. Um, her name is Addie. She's three. And then we just had our son. Um, he'll be eight months on Friday, our son EJ. So on top of her keeping us busy, our new little ones keep us busy. And she's very, um, really kind of like how I was as a kid. She just loves being a big sister. She likes being very involved. You know, she's she's motherly. Some people say bossy. I'm going to say motherly. That's great. Well, you guys are growing your family for sure. We are. Yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> you know, three's a lot. They all have such fun, different personalities that we're like, okay, I think we got a little bit of a, you know, good mix between me and my husband, Eli. And, and you know, we might be done. We'll see. We'll see, you know, where the world takes us. There are surprises sometimes. You never know. That's what I'm I'm like, okay, so let me not say we're done because then the universe might have a different idea for us. But yeah. Have you had any lingering trauma from being involved or surviving uh, that shooting? Sometimes. Um, I still have trouble with fireworks. Like 4th of July is sometimes hard. It can trigger some of the, you know, like it takes me a, t- a couple minutes or a little longer of a time to recover. Like um, the, the pops and everything just, if, especially if I'm not expecting them, like if we're driving home and I hear the pops but I can't see them. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's just different. And like um, in my office where I work, we have a door that when it comes onto the worker side of things, if you don't use your badge to basically disable the alarm and you open the door, the alarm goes off. And just yesterday I was in there for a meeting. Someone went out and forgot to use their badge and the alarm went off and I jumped and everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm fine. You know, trying to downplay it. Cause it's hard to explain like, you know, why you, why you struggle with these things. And yeah, it's kind of a long story to explain to people. Right. Like 
especially when you don't know everybody like on that personal level it's not like the first thing you want to tell me like hi my name's cammy and i survived a mass shooting like you know it's like and that's why i got you know this ptsd or why i jump so frequently or but you learn to cope and we we do what we can i think i've come a long way but there's still some some work to be done and that was part of the trauma of it was you everyone could hear the shooting but it took a while to figure out where is it coming from which direction should we run to get away from it yeah and that kind of not in a bad way but makes me question when i hear something i'm like okay last you know when we were at the shooting i thought it was fireworks i thought it was you know part of the show and realizing that it wasn't i'm like okay so now every time i hear something i kind of second guess myself like is that you know, fireworks or is it gunshots or, you know, like working in the city that I work in, I'm just overly cautious, I think, compared to some of the other like workers in my office. I'm I'm overly cautious and it's hard to explain to them why, but it's I just second guess myself now that like I don't know, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I would have realized then exactly what it was, but I didn't and so I'm trying to learn from that and hopefully not have myself be in a horrid situation like that again. Yeah, almost nobody realized it right away. It right. Was, there was a lot of confusion in the uh, at the beginning. Have you gone back to any more music festivals? Not festivals. Um, and not necessarily because I'm, like, I, I don't feel like I have fear in going to festivals. I just have three young kids. <laughs> you don't have time to do anything these days, right? Right. I'm, I have time to coordinate the chaos of my everyday life. But um, I've gone to a couple concerts. It took me a while to go to my first concert. I was and the the first one that I went to was really like it was at a bar. It was really low key, really small. And I've since gone to bigger ones at like stadiums and arenas and stuff to where it feels less um, like I have less anxiety about going. But I was never really a huge music festival goer. Um, Route ninety one was my first one, and so far it's been my last one. But you know, hopefully once my kids are older and I'm less anxious about leaving them, or you know, I just feel like it's going to be fine because I feel bad saddling someone with watching three kids for any amount of time. Eventually, I think it's something I want to try, but I'm sticking to my nightly concerts for now. Cammie, thanks for the update. Um, Congratulations on your growing family, and I wish you continued success and happiness. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for, for having me back. Well, that was fun. I'm really happy for Cammie and Eli and the life they're building together with their kids. If you'd like to see a recent picture of their family, it's in the episode notes at whatwasthatlike.com slash 152. We'll have another flashback episode next month. These will always come in between the regular new episode days, so we'll still always have a new episode every other Friday. And I wanted to give you an update about our food service worker project. Thanks to you, my amazing listeners, it was a huge success. If you're new to the show and you're not sure what I'm talking about, here's what this is. A few months ago, I had this idea that we should do something nice for a service worker. More specifically, someone in food service. They have a tough job and they deserve something extra. So I talked about it here on the podcast and I set up a GoFundMe so that people could donate whatever they wanted and everyone could see the total. I didn't really know what to expect. But in the back of my mind, I really wanted it to be at least $500. Well, it got to $542, and that's when I disabled it for any more donations. And if you didn't get a chance to participate, don't worry, we'll be doing it again sometime. So now I just had to present the cash to a food server. 
and I came up with someone who I knew would be a great recipient. Each month, the Florida Podcasters Association meets at an IHOP restaurant here in Tampa. We take a whole separate room off to the side, and there's one server that handles all of us in that room. Her name is Jojo. She does a great job, and she's always smiling. So at the Podcasters Meetup in September, I called her up to the front of the room and presented her with the money. She was very surprised and very grateful. And I got that presentation on video, and I posted it in the podcast Facebook group. So if you'd like to see it, and you haven't yet joined our amazing group of listeners, get over to whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. I absolutely love doing this kind of thing, so we'll definitely do it again. Of course, I'll let you know when that happens. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz, and full episode transcription was created by James Lye. And now, it's this week's listener story, and this is a fun one. We do this every episode. Do you have a 5-10 to ten minute story that's funny, interesting, sad, or just entertaining? Send it to me, scott at whatwasthatlike.com, because the world is waiting to hear it. This week's story is from a listener who was a babysitter for a future major celebrity. And you can see a picture of that celebrity as a child in the episode notes. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. Hi, Scott. My name is Erica McDonald. I love your show, and I thought I'd send in a listener tale. I grew up in Sea Isle City, New Jersey, which is a beach town in Cape May County. And my father had a real estate company called Frida Real Estate. So he sold homes and he was also the commissioner of our town for many years. Uh, one day when I was working in our family store, it's a five and dime called Sands Department Store, a man and his daughter walked in. He had recently bought a house from my father and he needed to get keys duplicated for his new home. And we had a key cutting machine in my dad's store. So he walked in with his daughter on his hip, and I said to him, that is just the most adorable little girl I've ever seen. What is her name? And he said, her name is Taylor. And I said, well, if you ever need a babysitter, I also babysit. He said, well, actually, this weekend, we do need a babysitter. So I started babysitting for Scott and Andrea and their two children, Taylor and Austin, every summer from the time... Taylor was probably about three till she was maybe six years old, and then they moved to a different shore town. But we still kept in touch with the family because Scott was also a financial advisor, and he was helping my family out with their finances. So throughout the years, we kept in touch with this family, and Scott would keep us updated on the kids and what they were up to, and his daughter loved to sing, and he would tell us, you know, so Taylor's going to be singing the national anthem at the local sports arenas and she's going to be singing the national anthem at our local community and we just thought that was so sweet and we were so excited for them and then one day he called and told us that they were going to move to nashville tennessee and we thought why in the world would you move to nashville tennessee your daughter is you know just a karaoke kind of singer and it turns out she wasn't she became the biggest pop star in history, and it is Taylor Swift. So that's my listener tale. What was it like to babysit the biggest pop star in the entire world? Well, 
They paid five twenty-five an hour, and the kids were pretty good. But I never did get a ticket to any of her shows. I never got a backstage pass, and I certainly never got front row seats. And I actually couldn't even get a ticket in the Philadelphia show. That's my story. I hope you enjoy it. Uh.